Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Funny Girl Podcast. This week, I'm very excited to introduce the one and only Joel Byers, who is a comedian and podcast host of the Hot Breath Pod. He also just released a new clean comedy special with Dry Bar Comedy called Marriage Material. And we're going to learn a lot more about him. Thank you so much for coming on. Yay. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yes, me too. I'm really excited to like, it's interesting. You're the first clean comic that I've spoken with. So um, I want to definitely ask, which is like ridiculous. I feel like there should be a lot more people that it's like the classic things that are off limits or off limits. But um, just to start it off, I'm very curious, like when did you realize that you wanted to make a career out of comedy or like be in entertainment as a whole? Like when did you, and then my second part is like, when did you decide you wanted to specifically do clean comedy? Yes. So I started my senior year of college. I was about to graduate in like two or three months and it was something I always wanted to try. I've always been a fan of comedy. I've always been funny growing up but to actually want to do it and actually decide to do it are two completely different things so it actually took me till i was about to graduate from college to decide all right well let me try i've been curious so i did an open mic and i think it's like most comics the first time it's like a drug and like you're like oh this is what i'm doing now forever by any means necessary so it all (laughs) it's kind of like when people i get asked a lot about like like how to get on stage or they're not sure like what they want to do in comedy or whatnot. And I was like, well, just get on stage once and you will know instantly. Like, and for me, it was like taking the blue pill. It was like, I'm a comedian now forever by any means necessary. So the clean side of it was always, that was just something that always was just like natural to me. I think growing up, like my favorite comedians were like Sinbad and Steve Martin, who are clean, goofy comedians. So that's just kind of naturally where my sense of humor leans towards and i'm like i'm like a baby faced like dude so it's like if i (laughs) get any edgy i get it like turns the audience completely off so it's just kind of what naturally kind of my sense of humor is but i i love all styles and genres of comedy i don't if someone's dirty i'm not like oh they're doing it the wrong way or whatever like it's whatever your sense of humor tells you to do go for it and just for me that's just what came most naturally so that's just kind of direction i head and then it kind of as you do comedy more you realize oh if you're clean you can get more work right entertain more people so there is a business side to being clean that even if you're not a quote clean comedian just being able to do a clean set is really helpful i think that's i've had mark norman on my podcast three times and that's what he said the third time he was on is he was like, if I would give young comics advice is like, start clean. He's like, I wish I started clean because I could work a lot more. Cause when he started opening for Jerry Seinfeld, he said he had to go literally through like every album he had just to find 20 minutes that he could open up for Jerry with that were clean enough. So wow, it's not something you have to do, but it is something that is good to be able to do just in case a booking comes along that wants to pay you a good chunk of change, you want to be ready for that, even if you're not, quote, a clean comedian. Right. And it's and I think it's a, a good point to your, like, it's one of those things where it's not like you have to completely pick a side. Like, mm. if you, you know, as a clean comedian, like, that's something that's just wh- what your path led you to, and it makes more sense for you, and it's given you more opportunities. But it's nice to hear that from the other side, because I do think some people almost feel like a, a level of 
for lack of a better term, like safety. Like I've been going to more open mics only recently and I'm very much like a baby comedian, you know, like I've not been mm. on stage that much, but uh, I always feel myself gravitating towards like the risque, like goofy, funny jokes or more just like the stories that of my life that are just like crazy or provocative and things like that. And I think there is a beauty and an extreme talent to people that are able to storytell and just have jokes and one-liners that are just specifically clean because it almost feels harder in a way. Like, I think it just depends on the person maybe, but even to hear what you said about Mark, like the fact that he went through all this stuff and had to find like, could barely find like 20 minutes. Like that's actually like, I feel very lucky that I'm hearing this early on because it's almost like trying to do like five minutes of clean comedy and then five minutes of just like kind of like free ball in it and like whatever comes out, comes out. So it must be really, really interesting. And then out of curiosity, I know I quickly mentioned earlier that you were the host of the hot breath pod, of course, which is I'm an avid listener of. So um, I will have that in the bio of this episode for anyone who hasn't already listened to it. But I know you offer like on the website, like you guys offer workshops and there's like a Facebook group where there's like a community of people that kind of just work with each other and like will give each other advice on jokes and everything like that. So take us through the kind of story of what, what made you start the hot breath podcast and kind of what led it into like a bigger because it's not it's not really just a podcast anymore. It's like a whole entire like industry, like you know, like a a brand, if you will. So, what was that process like? Yeah, I started it. Well, I've done over four hundred interviews on there now, and it started five or maybe six. Uh, I don't remember <laughs> what year it started. It was er, it was it was a while ago, but it started as a podcast to interview my favorite comedians here in Atlanta at the time. Uh, last comic standing was on TV and there were 10 comics from Atlanta on the show. And I was like, Oh, it'd be a cool time capsule of Atlanta. If I interviewed these 10 comedians from Atlanta, which is where I'm based and just kind of have this as a cool time capsule of the scene. Cause I've always loved Atlanta comedy and really believed in the community here. And from there it kind of grew into just the show I wish existed. Like my favorite parts of podcasts back then were when the comedians were nerding out about comedy. And there weren't really any back then that comics were really nerding out. So I was like, oh, well, let me create the show I wish existed. So I just started interviewing comedians about how they write jokes and how they book certain TV deals and how they negotiate money and things like that. And just over time, it just kind of snowballed and I would get this cool guest and they would refer me to another cool guest. And then I would like all right, I'm going to travel to LA to interview this person. Like I've really been all in on the podcast since the beginning and not until the pandemic, it really blossomed into this inner like global community. Now, I mean, I hear from comics in India and Australia and Japan yeah, and, wow. and people. And like you said, in our Facebook group, that Facebook group started during the pandemic. You know, I was unemployed overnight. I was a touring headliner and then overnight I was unemployed. So I just kind of focused on what I could control. And I just started this Facebook group and I started going live every day doing this joke writing exercise, which evolved into, I went live over 400 days in a row. And then I had a mental breakdown and cried and deleted that episode. Um, but I went live every day for over 400 days during the pandemic. And through that, it just built this online community that now is self-sustaining and people are we do this right 10 club every day where 
in our Facebook group, we post a new word and people will write new jokes and give each other feedback on it and stuff. And it's like a, it's like wordle for comedians. It's just a good way to kind of get the brain going as you, uh, as you start your day. And then from there, it really now is looking at like the kind of the next chapter of hot breath. It's still a podcast, but I'm starting to do more content around just like comedy storytelling and profiling different comedians and different like, um, red carpet events and things like that. So I've really put a lot of more focus onto the YouTube channel and getting more creative around the content that we're putting out there. So I just, just before this, I was just finishing up a video uh, we're about to release about Matt Reif and how he just blew up TikTok. Um, and I did like a red carpet event for uh, the Red Fox Awards that we're about to release. So I'm really just thinking of what do I wish existed? You know, that's how yeah. the podcast started. So everything I create, it's like, what do I wish existed before this dry bar comedy special? I self-produced my own comedy special like three years ago. It's just always thinking of just what do I wish existed and then just being willing to put in the work to make it happen. And really the community of hot breath is the heart and soul of it. Because when I started comedy over 10 years ago, this, it, it was, it was, I was never the cool kid. I never got on the hip shows and things like that. So I wanted to create a safe space for, comedians that are working comedians or newer or aspiring comedians to all come together and just kind of support each other in because comedy is hard enough as it is. So if comedians can at least help each other and find understanding with each other through this crazy comedy journey, then the better. So really the heart and soul of hot breath is for sure. What we call the hot breath of verse for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's been an evolution though. And I think it's, it's also really beautiful because as crazy as the pandemic was, of course, and especially for people touring and just everything was in person, it was kind of an interesting way to have to pivot and see things from another angle. Because I think what really works about Hot Breath is like, it is digital heavy, obviously. So it's like mm -hmm. to be able versus like take having courses in person in Atlanta, which again, would be so cool to have almost like a, a UCB, like pit type of vibe for like like the hot breath would be really awesome oh, to have yeah, like that kind of awesome. base in atlanta but then you wouldn't have people from around the world being able to access the things that you know you are providing and and i think what you're saying that's resonating the most with me is you created something that would have really helped you when you were starting out and i think that that is what you know and we really briefly spoke about it before we started recording like that was how i came across you know the hot breath like and just everything about you was I was feeling that way when, you know, I've only had the funny girl podcast out for like a little over a year and the beginning of it, my whole like shtick and angle was supposed to kind of be like, follow me as I literally start from day one, like have like not gone on a show before to, you know, just trying to get like, see what happens in a few years. It's almost like a, I've said it a million times, but it's like a, an audio diary that everyone can listen to. But awesome. it's what's been really helpful is like, I, I felt the same way. Like I would record some episodes and I'd kind of be like, there's a, a lack of community that I feel. And, and it, it's really hard to kind of, you know, at the end of the day, like I am a noob. So it's like, you really want to find mm -hmm. someone that you trust and who's been doing it for a really long time and who like interviews people who know what they're doing. And that's why I've been feeling very lucky with how open people are to like do interviews, like even when you just like email or like message on Instagram or, you know, like there, that's something with comedy that, that was kind of surprising to me, how like even what you said, like how, you know, you'd have a comic on and then they'd introduce you to someone else. Like there's such a beauty in that. And then it kind of snowballs into learning more. So 
that really comes across in your episodes. Like you can see that it's like the it's like there's educational value, like more than so many of the of the podcasts I listen to. But then there's also a lot of like lighthearted banter and back and forth and just kind of it's just cool because it's like I'll listen to you know you'll talk about how you performed at like a really weird place or like had an interesting experience where you were hosting and like or you were like I think I was headlining but I didn't realize I was headlining or you know something like (laughs) something like that but just to hear the conversations you have oh sorry this is my dog he loves to bark what's Um, his name he's this is him he's a rigatoni but (laughs) rigatoni He's like, let me talk. I'm like, later, later. I love um, it. But yeah, so I just, I, I do find it very, like, it is very, like, inspiring and empowering. And I, um, I'm just, like, appreciative that they're, like, I know, like, you were saying, like, you wish that you kind of had that when you were growing up. So it's, like, really, like, selfishly, it works out that you've created that because now I'm able to, even in the Facebook group, like, you're right, it's, like, a little bit of, like, almost a brain teaser to have in the morning to just get the juices flowing because something will come up that you read the comments and see like jokes that hit or like people trying to workshop a certain joke. And it kind of gets me into a mode of being like, great, now let me just dive right into my own stuff for 30 minutes and see what I can do differently or, you know, like what I can kind of just work on. So it must be really, really like exciting to have such a big community now for you, for like all the people that you've been working with. Um, Yeah. In terms of hot breath as a whole, what was like, what do you feel like is like in terms of next steps with something? I know you were like talking about this a little bit. Like, are you ever looking to do stuff that's going to be more like in person or do you want this type primary to primarily stay digital and kind of podcast heavy? Cause I know you said you're staying away from it a bit. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It'll, it'll always be a weekly podcast. Um, but I do see the vision of like, and the best part about getting to know all these people during the pandemic. And now like I've actually done shows with people from the hot breath of I mean, like people are now booking me to do their shows. I'll be in Charleston next week. A few months ago, I, I flew to Oregon and did a gig for a fan of the podcast. Um, so it, I'm starting to meet people in person. Wow. And we're like doing shows together and stuff, which is really cool. And um, definitely I want it to be, in person as well. Like I want hot breath to be a festival. I want it to be like live events. Like I, I do, I see more than just like it just being like this digital kind of community, but a place that like it started there, but now we can kind of use that as home base, but really not only just me, but other members of the community producing shows together. And I've seen people in the community going on tour together and things like that. So yeah, yeah, definitely in, in person is the big vision for sure. And something that we're working towards for sure. Cool. That's really cool. Yeah. yeah, That makes sense. I think again, it's all just kind of like to even hear that you've already like the, the breath of verse in itself, just like you're meeting people through that. And they're like, yeah, like just come on my show. You're my fave. You're like, thank God. Great. This is, we love to see this. (laughs) And then, um, so I, this is a little off topic, but so tomorrow, I guess, well, I'm actually having this go live tomorrow. So today I am, pro- I'm producing my first comedy show that I quickly sent you a link to. Um, it's my first comedy show that I'm producing and I'm hosting it. And I know you have on your website, there is basically like the different workshops, the classes in the workshops. And one of them is primarily on hosting. So I'm definitely yeah. going to be signing up and taking a look at that before we go into it, but what kind of like advice do you give people that are starting out, whether it's 
producing a show or hosting a show or kind of just trying to get their foot in the door in the comedy world? Like what's something that you feel like has really resonated for you or worked for you that you would kind of tell other people? Yeah. Well, congratulations first, because you said you've been doing comedy a year, less than a year. Yeah. Less than a year. Okay. Wow. So congratulations on even starting to produce your own show so early. That's amazing. Cause that is, and you're hosting it as well. That's something that when comics always ask me, like, how can I get more stage time or how can I get better faster? Like producing your own show and hosting it, it, like you develop so much faster as a host because you have to learn how to engage an audience, how to create a mood, how to create a connection with a crowd. Like there's so many benefits to learning how to host that translate into you just being a better comedian in general. So salute to you for even just taking on that uh, workload of producing your own show. Cause I don't think people, Another reason every comedian should produce their own show so they realize how much work it actually is. So when they're at another show and they're asking the host, when can I go up? When can I go up? When am I going up? Uh, can I go up early even though I showed up late? You know, things like that. <laughs> yeah. um, they'll realize how annoying that is when you have your own show. So I, I recommend every comedian produce their own show. But a few things definitely. Um, the number one thing, and this is from personal experience and from interviewing other show producers, is like the venue can really make or break your show. Like you really want to work with a venue that wants to see the show succeed. Like you really, it really needs to be not just them being like, all right, well, how are you going to get people in here? Or like, all right, how are you going to promote it? And things like that. It really needs to be like a partnership. So if, you know, producing your own show, I would say take time to find the right venue that's going to work with you and understand this may be a process to build an audience and things like that. And a good, a good shortcut to finding a good venue is to maybe find a venue that's already doing other live events as well. So a venue that's already doing a poetry night or they're already doing karaoke or trivia, like a place that is already trying live events that maybe a comedy show would fit naturally into their calendar of events already. So that's a, that's another good one there. Um, another one with producing your own show is booking a quality lineup. Like I think a lot of times comedians will just book their friends and then just do that. But honestly, just book the best comics you can that are going to put on the best show possible. So the people that are in the audience do want to come back right? and they do want to tell their friends because that's really the best marketing is word of mouth when it comes to your shows, whether that is a venue that already has their own following that you can tap into their email list and their social media, or it is a a venue that just has their regulars and you do a comedy show and you, you set this environment, this experience for the audience members and interviewed a comedian, uh, Ava Alexopoulos, who's up in Canada, who has this amazing show called Kickback that actually got picked up by JFL. Oh, wow. She's actually doing it at JFL. In- incredible. I've had her on the show twice. She drops gems on it both times. But she really, really leans into like, what is the experience this audience is having? What is the lighting? How is the seating set up? Really like producing your own show is so much more than just like, all right, we're in the corner of a bar. We have a megaphone. Let's do jokes. You know, every little detail matters and can be the difference between the show working or not. Mm -hmm. And I say all these things with the understanding that it's also a process that just one thing at a time and you just kind of build up to making all these little changes that make the big difference. But just starting is the hardest part, which is what you're doing. 
So um, congrats on that. And yeah, if you have you. any specific questions, I'm happy to answer them as well. But that's just kind of off the top of my head kind of things that. No, yeah, that's so helpful. That's really helpful. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I, and I always like to ask these things because again, like I said, like I am trying to have my whole journey on the podcast. And I think like mm. a lot of people who are listening, like a majority of the people that do listen to this podcast will reach out via like Instagram or, you know, email and they'll, they're trying to do the same things. Like they're trying to produce or they're trying to get on stage or go to an open mic. And it, it feels so like daunting and scary. And it's just kind of like putting one foot in front of the other. And like, if you told me a few months ago that I'd be doing this, I'd be like freaking out. And I am definitely still freaking out. Like the thought of hosting, I'm like, ha what the fuck did you do? But <laughs> um, that's okay. <laughs> we'll figure it out. But no, I appreciate that. And I really appreciate you saying that. And again, like there's so many episodes that you have that I feel like I can just like go back on and kind of look at, especially for hosting and things like that. That is really nice. And it, it also just shows the, how much experience you have in general. Like it's been 10 years of you in this industry. Like you really know like the do's and the don'ts and things like that, uh, which actually does lead me to my next question. This is something I ask everyone on the podcast and you know, it's, it, it's received differently sometimes, but I do always like to ask um, when was a time that you remember that you really bombed on stage like mm. a time that you either bombed like in some sort of audition, pitching something on the podcast, like an interview or just overall, because I always feel like it kind of humanizes and, and normalizes that that's like such a part of being a comic. Mm. So as someone has oh, been doing yeah. it as long as you, I'm curious. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I ask every, um, I have like a running question on my show of like people's booze story of like their worst bomb ever, like worst heckler and things like that. Because it is something that every comedian goes through and no comedian is immune to bombing at any level. A bomb could be around the corner. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I've, my goodness, like, duh, there's so many. They, they hurt so bad, but they make you stronger. I mean, I had, I had a, uh, a club shut the lights off on me before because i was bombing so bad and what then, yeah and then there was the dj the dj started playing gunshot sound effects um <laughs> it was great it was like 1 a.m at um a hood room in uh in the south side of atlanta you know i i came up doing those kind of shows i was white boy joel in the atlanta comedy scene so i performed at strip clubs and sidewalks and public buses like Anywhere with a microphone, I would be at. So, I mean, I've I've kind of been through it all, man. I, I did one show where I opened up uh, for a twerk contest. And there was a lady that just... I was the only white person in the zip code. And this lady just kept yelling rabbit at me. And like rabbit from like 8 Mile. And she just kept yelling rabbit at me. Like I was Eminem in 8 Mile. And then I had to do 15 minutes. The The dude who booked it, his name's Doodoo Brown, which should have been a red flag. From <laughs> and he said, you have to do 15 minutes to get paid. And so I had to stand up there and I was doing well for like seven minutes. And this lady kept yelling rabbit. And I just went, would you shut up? And I like yelled at her and I was too new to understand how to handle it in a fun way. And I just got frustrated so a blonde haired, blue eyed white kid yelling at the crowd to shut up did not go over very well. So I had to still do my time. So I just started counting down each minute 
and literally like was just looking at my phone, just like, all right, I have one more, like one minute left or like five minutes left. And I just had to count it down that way. And just like, I, I think I blacked out. Like, I don't even know what I did for the second half of the set, but I had to stand up there so I could get paid. And That's I, I tough. It, That's really tough. Oh, and I never, yeah, I, uh, yeah, that, uh, yeah. I, and that's, that was a notoriously tough room and it was kind of a rite of passage here in the Atlanta scene to, um, to do it. And I, at the time felt honored to be asked to do it. And then I felt scarred after doing it. Uh, but that's, we all, I mean, every comedian goes through bombing. No one, no one has never bombed before and never will bomb. So it's all just embrace it and learn from each single one. Cause there's going to be plenty around the corner for everyone. Yeah. And it's always interesting when I ask, when I ask everyone on this uh, podcast about it and like not everyone's primarily like doing stand up. It's more just like uh, people in the comedy world, whether that's mm -hmm. like acting or, you know, doing improv or things like that. And the second I ask this question, you just kind of see their eyes flicker like a Rolodex of all the times <laughs> that they're like, Oh boy. They're like, which one do I pick to talk about today? So it's kind of nice. Cause it's like, that's just a part of it, you know? And it, it's like really, really, it can be really rough. And like, I think like I give you so much like kudos for that. Like that's sounds really tough. And it's just kind of like, there's something to be said about going through that and just like in the moment being like, I have to stick this out. Right. Like there's, mm -hmm. I feel like in certain professions, like you can kind of like take a step back or, you know, move around. But it's like, you're like, no, like I said, I'd get paid if I did this amount. And this is also a room that's a rite of passage. Like I'm getting paid. Like, I don't care <laughs> if these eight mile references are going to ride out this whole entire episode or episode, this whole entire like set. You're like, but this is just what's going to happen right now. So, um, yeah, I, I feel like that makes a lot of sense. And then on the flip side, do you have like a specific like show or experience that really like stuck out to you that made you kind of like, this is why I'm doing this? Because I know in the when you said you got on stage the first time, you're like, oh, like now I found what I'm doing. Like I'm going to be a comedian. But was there a specific like show that you either like hosted or someone that you worked with or kind of like a collaboration that you were just like, it just kind of kept you going? Because I feel like sometimes it's in any world, really in any career, you can have those days where you're dragging your feet a little and you're like, gosh, like I need a reminder of why I'm doing this again. Like, where's the passion in this? I'm losing this. So I always try to like flip it on the other side. If there's like a time that you were like, oh, I'm so happy and lucky that this is my career. Oh, I appreciate you flipping it as well. I appreciate you taking us to the other side as well. I mean, it, um, I think the first, cause like we're always chasing, like we'll have these moments where like in comedy where it's just kind of, you're just, plodding along and then all of a sudden there's a show where literally just like everything works you're the chosen one this is why i do this i knew i was the one type deal like yeah everything worked i'm amazing and then you bomb for another three yeah. weeks but we all do that and we're all chasing that next high i mean the the one that stand out to me early on is uh i did a church and it was like 1500 people and everything just worked. And I just remember floating after that being like, oh, so that's what comedy. It's not all coffee shops and Irish pubs at midnight on a Tuesday. You know, oh, there is there is more to this than just these grinding open mics. So, I mean, that was one where everything worked and it was amazing. I mean, honestly, filming the dry bar special was like a moment of like, oh, man, I set out this goal and I achieved it and it actually like all worked out type deal. I mean, even doing something like that, because I've had 
I've had several cool moments or like cool almosts of like, oh man, if this TV show comes out, I'm on. Or like right. I've, you know, I've I've recorded a, a couple really cool things with really cool people where I was just like, wow, what am I even like, what am I doing here? And then I either got edited out or it never came out type deal. So I don't really get too excited anymore. I try to stay in the middle as much as possible. So even when I like film this dry bar special, I was like, oh, that's really cool. I'm glad I did that. But I wasn't like everything changes now because I mean, reality, I filmed it two years ago and it just came out yesterday. So there's a, there's that side of the comedy game. So I think actually seeing that all the way to completion um, and me actually like seeing a goal to be on dry bar. Okay. I go and I record it. Cool. If it comes out, we'll see type deal. And then it comes out two years later. So actually having a really cool thing happen that I did behind the scenes that then actually is now out in the public. That's actually very um, gratifying and validating in a sense, but I don't have any expectations beyond, Oh, it came out very cool. I don't have any expectations now. I don't get my hopes up anymore. It's just keep focusing on what I can control and keep doing what I've been doing and just keep building it from there. I don't yeah. really be on that. And I think that that's like one of the best ways to realistically go about most things, right? It's like to have that passion and like believing in yourself and knowing you can do it, but also just being like, listen, it's kind of like, like hope for the best, expect the worst, or just like expect neutral. It's like, okay, like mm-hmm. I'm doing whatever's in my control, I will be able to do and I'll be able to get it out there. And like, I know my capabilities, but especially in this industry, you know, it's really, it's tough. Like you hear about people who I, I know a friend who uh, got booked on like what was supposed to be like, like a regular on a show that was going to be huge. And it was going to be huge, like the big, the next big thing. And then the pandemic hit and then they just never filmed it. And, and it's kind of oh. like, just, it's a little example of like kind of that weird, just getting pulled back and forth on like, how am I supposed to feel like there's a sense of like accomplishment, but then there's a sense of like, I don't really know like what my next step is, you know? So what's really cool is I feel like you're constantly just like pushing things out of the woodwork. Like you seem like you're like every single day. And like, I think that's what's so great about having like just the start that you did and just like hot breath in general is just like really, really important because it's like, so even it being weekly, like it helps like so many people around you to like figure out what they want to do in their dreams. And it's also just like holding yourself accountable. And I think that that a lot of people struggle to find something that might like hold them accountable or that they need to do. And I know you briefly said earlier in the episode that you produced your last special. So I want to kind of ask a little bit about like this process, like how is you like what, like in terms of dry bar comedy, like what inspired you to record this special and like, what was the process from your first special to this one? And, you know, just giving us for everyone, again, I'll put the link in the little bias, everyone will watch it, but like, just like, what was the behind the scenes experience for you for the, for the new special that just came out? Yeah. And something that's helped me and it took me years to understand is to like focus on what you can control. Um, and like, just like do what you love and create what you wish existed and not waiting on someone to do it for you type deal. I mean, I spent years of why isn't this club emailing me back or why am I not on the cool flyer? Uh, and like things like that. I spent years doing that. And then as soon as I started focusing on what I can control, that's when I started getting opportunities and producing my own comedy special came from that of like, Oh man, well, you know, I'm about to be hit my 10 year comedy anniversary. This would be another cool time capsule. 
of, you know, what I've kind of built so far in my career. And it actually started as an album. I set the goal to record an album. And then I, I said something about it on the podcast and someone reached out and said, well, I could just, I could like, like film it for you. Like I have a, I have a media company. I could film it for you. So it was going to be an album. And then a fan of the podcast was like, Hey, let's film it. So then he actually helped film it. Wow. Um, my best friend from uh, here in Atlanta, who now lives in LA and is in the industry flew over and helped, um, film it, uh, for the night. I filmed it at, uh, a place that was the first place that ever headlined me that I was ever booked as a headliner at this venue. And I filmed my comedy special there, which was in hindsight, you know, it was all DIY self-produced, like just kind of did it myself. And I had, um, legendary manager, Barry Katz on my podcast. And he actually watched a clip of it live on the air and then proceeded to roast it for like 20 minutes, which was pretty cool. Um, <laughs> and then he had nice things to say as well, but he was like, why is this guy sitting? Like I had a really big dude sitting front and center and he kind of took up a lot of space in the frame and he kind of roasted why I didn't like sit people a certain way and why the lighting was how it was. I mean, it was all like constructive criticism. So it was cool to get roasted by and get feedback from someone who used to manage like Dave Chappelle and Dan Cook and things like that. Wow. But, yeah, of course. But, um, that's on the podcast, but he, um, so I kind of, that one was kind of, like just what material I have that I'm most proud of. Let me put it out on a comedy special. I didn't release it on YouTube. I actually sell it on my website. My whole goal was to just um, make my money back. So I have done that and then some now. And I'm always looking for like, what is the inverse of the current trend? So even back then when I released it, YouTube special was like a trend. And I was like, well, I wonder what happened if you sold it. So... I'm still riding that wave. I still think it's going to come full circle. And I think comedians are going to start producing specials and selling them as merch. It shows and things like that. And it's kind of becomes like IP that you can actually sell beyond just getting exposure online, but we're still on this YouTube special. So I still believe in selling the special, no matter how many people have reached out, like, why don't you just put it out? But the dry bar special came along because I got referred by a friend who had done it. And then I sent, dry bar my special and they were like oh cool yeah we'd love to have you do a special with us so then that whole process was much more professional um i flew out to uh, provo utah where they film it and i mean they treat you like royalty throughout the entire dry bar special it's it's i think it's um the owners of wise guys comedy clubs I think he's behind it and um, he just understands comedians and how to treat comedians and everyone there treats you like royalty and they really do pamper you that whole time you're there and they make you feel as a, as a big of a deal as it is to the comedians. They want you to make, they want you to know it is actually that big of a deal and you do deserve this. And this is important part of your career. So it was all. That's awesome. awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, Seriously. That. Yeah. 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 You need to, you need those reminders. That's another one of like, Oh man, I'm, I'm special. I am the chosen <laughs> one type the, you know, that, that thing we can tell ourselves as comedians, but it was an amazing experience. I have nothing but positive things to say about it. And I'm excited. It's out now when people can see it because it is, I, it, I'm super proud of it. It's my best work yet. And it really is a good kind of, um, example of like the comedy I've been working to create, 
for now over 13 years and kind of it's kind of the next chapter of my career as well. Yeah, of course. And what was the what was the process like in terms of like in terms of having a special, of course, obviously there's a million things you need to check off that checklist. But as someone who's been doing so many different, like, you know, five minutes, 30 minutes, like just big rounds of sets and material and whatnot, like how did you kind of know what material you wanted to specifically use for this comedy special? Yeah. So I really, um, I, I, I was pretty strategic about the material I did for the dry bar special um, because I looked at like their YouTube channel and like their Facebook and their social media. And I looked at what the most popular clips were and what were the commonalities between them or like, what were the topics they were talking about? What kind of jokes were they? And I really looked at like, who's my audience going to be? What do they like? Now let me design a set or with that in mind, like for my, for my personal self-produced special, I was like, these are my favorite jokes. This is what I'm doing. And I just want to get it out there as an album. But this one, I was much more strategic around like, okay, who was watching this? How do I want to open this that really gets them engaged and hooked? What do I want to do halfway through the set that will keep them engaged and want to see through to the end? So I was very intentional about how I organized the set, what I did, what I left out. And then also how I prepared. I mean, I was in my hotel room, just like rehearsing it over and over again. I was working it out on the road. Like my self-produced special, I hadn't really done that many headlining sets. I was like on the road featuring a lot. So I would do like a 20, 25 minute set, work on a certain part of my special. And then the next show, maybe work on another part of my special. I didn't really able, I wasn't, I don't even know if I ran it all at the same time any before I filmed, but this dry bar special, I was able to run it a lot and really just hone it in as much as possible to get it as ready as possible for the dry bar audience. So that's, it was, it was almost more of looking at it from a marketing perspective than okay. like a stand up comedy perspective. It was like, who's the audience? What are they going to like? All right, now let me design a product that they would actually want to not only consume, but also share. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and that's so cool that you, you, I feel like some people can get kind of wrapped up in it and be really focused on like the performance and the writing and just the material itself when it, there is so many more parts to it. And that's like kind of going back to what you're saying earlier about like producing a show. It's like, mm -hmm. there's so much that you wouldn't maybe think about or look at, like even like the promo and marketing and like trying to get it out there and like what's received well and what, what isn't and what type of pro like whether it's like digital versus like in like flyers and things like that. Cause it, the weird thing too is things are constantly changing whether for the better or worse. We're, I'm a little unclear on that right now, but like in the mm -hmm. past five, 10 years, just seeing things changing for the way people retain information, people's attention spans, like what appeals to them, like how you actually can get them to show, how you can get them to buy a special. Like those are the things that I feel like are, it's such an important tool to have because as someone who is like, you've been an audience member before, right? Like you've obviously like, whether even it's like a different form of live entertainment, like if it's music or going to a concert, you kind of see what works for like the band or the performer and like the people around you. It's like trying to translate that into something like obviously having and selling a special. So it sounds like you clearly like that goes back to kind of the advice you gave earlier briefly, which is like, you need to just 
try something because it's never going to be perfect the first time you did it. And it seems like mm-hmm. from the, like the previous special you've done, you've done, it's like really cool. Even having like the hot breath pod, like the people that are a part of that, just be like, Hey, I could actually help and provide. And it, it's just very inspiring. Cause I think it can get like, you know, it can get like overwhelming sometimes. There's so many things that need to get done, but it's also like, that's the beauty of it, right? Like that's where the passion comes in. So it's really, really cool. And congratulations again. Like I'm, I'm so excited for you mm-hmm. that this came out and like, it's so cool that drive our comedy, like worked like that. You found like a group, like someone to kind of like work with on it and just get it out there. And I think like a lot of a lot of people would dream to have a day of doing that. And I know there was a joke a few years ago where they were like, they're giving Netflix comedy specials to everyone these days. And it's like, well, at the end of the day, like there needs to be some sort of platform. And just to know that like more than like a big group of people would believe in you or anyone else who's trying to do it. It's like, what's stopping you at the end of the day, you know? So yeah. um, in terms of, I know you were quickly mentioning like with like headlining and everything and kind of like your featuring and headlining and, what kind of was that process like for you as like starting out as a comic and, and, you know, almost moving up the ladder for lack of a better term? Like what was, what were the changes that you saw and like the ways that you tried to push yourself up or like get more time on a certain stage and kind of like leading you to where you are today? Yeah. And it's everything in my career has been super incremental. Like, I mean, I start, and I think maybe like a lot of people do have a delusion of some, I mean, maybe not everyone starts this way, but I was like, I'm special and I, this is easy. I like, I have a joke where I'm like, I'm too white to fail. Like this is, I'm a shoe in to like, just blow up overnight type deal. And I can't even imagine now with social media and that whole pressure on comedians, like young comedians who are like, Oh, I got to figure out how to write a one-liner, but I've got to get this viral crowd work clip I shot on my Android out. You know, like, I think it's, I don't want to sound like the old head who's like, just get funny first and then like have something worth filming. Don't just be chasing a trend because if you blow up and you have seven minutes of okay material and this club wants you to headline because you went viral, this audience may come see you once, but they're not going to see you again type deal. Um, But I, I digress. So my specific journey to climbing the ladder really all came from just creating my own opportunities at the end of the day. Like I self, I wanted more stage time. So I, I started producing my own show. I produced my own show for, it ran for seven or eight years. It started as a bi-weekly show and then grew into like a weekly show I did for seven or eight years i think and then like the place burned down um which was a whole thing but um, i know this sounds glamorous this was the patio of a coffee shop so you know early stages where we're in it's the winter time and we're on a patio and there's like a homeless guy by the heater and that's the audience type deal so like this is really like built from the ground up to then like kind of older over time cultivating an audience with the show but that was all very incremental and just steadily built. And then to actually get out on the road, I wanted to get out on the road. So I was like, how can I do that? So a few comedian friends of mine, we put together this little tour. We called it the almost grown ups tour. And cause we were all like little, like that. we were like little baby face boys. And we like shot, we shot promos where we were each in different types of suits, like, the, one of us was in like a like a dress like business suit. One of them was like a swimsuit, and the other was in like a track suit. And we shot photos of like a playground, and we like put together this little tour. And we 
went up around like South Carolina. Our first tour was around a few in South Carolina. And then the next one we went up into like Virginia and did a couple shows around Maryland and things like that. And just kind of, I mean, didn't make any money. I mean, at that time I was refilling mini bars for a living, living in the hood of Atlanta in like a studio apartment in the basement of this building. And I literally, for this one tour we did, I, uh, my job as the mini bar attendant was to like refill and like exchange out expired food. So I would keep some of the expired food. And for like a week on a, one of our tours, I literally ate nothing but cliff bars for like a week. I maybe had one meal that like I actually paid for everything else. I literally ate cliff bars for like a week on this tour. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. <laughs> I, have you spoken about, about that on Hot Breath? I feel like I might have heard that before. I, maybe. I'm sure I've brought it up at some point. That's so crazy to think about. You're like, listen, if, I, if I'm going to break even here in some way, like I will be eating these expired Cliff Bars. Like it's just oh, the only Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like one, one show we booked, no one showed up and they canceled it and we're like, we're just like here. And then she was like, well, you can sleep at the bar if you want. Like it was like, yeah, I mean, it. yeah, there was just so many, it, but these all things you just kind of, I mean, you just learn by doing, I mean, at the end of the day, like we're, that's, that's kind of how you develop as a comedian. You really learn by doing, like you can consume a lot of content and get a lot of helpful hints, but if you don't put them into practice, it's just kind of like, you're just kind of like entertainment. You're not really applying it. Then it's not really like digesting and you're really developing from it. So that, that's a big part of, I know I put out a lot of educational stuff, but I always, one, I always try to lead by example. I'm not someone who tries to give comedy advice, but I don't really do comedy. Like there's some people that teach comedy, but they don't actually do it, which is, that's why I always will make sure like I'm a comedian first. I learn from doing and I share from my own experiences. I don't just like do other things that maybe other people do that I don't have any, whatever they do, that's fine. I have zero negative things to say, but about other people, but, um, <laughs> for me, it's all learned just from doing. So getting on the road started with producing my own tours, producing my own shows, and then just slowly over time, building a network. I can tell you from personal experience and from interviewing so many comedians that the, the number one way you're going to get opportunities is from other comedians at the end of the day, like people, or like, oh, do I need an agent or a manager type deal? Like the majority of things you're going to get are from other comedians. So I've just over time built a network and one scene at a time and one town at a time. And what's now great with the internet is you can connect with comedians around the country and world so much easier. There's a Facebook group called the Hot Breath Comedy Network that you can actually join and you can actually just post, hey, I'm from this town. Anyone else in here from that? Or I'm looking to visit uh, Charlotte, North Carolina, anyone in here from that, that knows of shows and things like that. Yeah. So it's even better with the internet now, but it all really, for me was just one, one little thing here, one little thing there. And it all just kind of came from referrals that have now built up into a professional career that I probably went, probably went full time eight years in. I don't even know. I really should track that. Cause I have been asked that before, but I will say I get asked how people like from people like, how do I go full time? But I would highly recommend like wait as long as you can, unless you just want to, you know, dive in and be about that life, go for it. But when comedy becomes your job, 
it becomes more than just a fun hobby where you get to say your sillies and write jokes and stuff. Now you have to figure out how to get paid to do these and how to stay alive and things like that. So it's, it adds a whole other layer of stress when it is your full-time gig. So I never tell comics to just dive in and live in their cars unless that's what they want to do, then go for it. But for me, it's all been very incremental, just gradually over time, getting this opportunity here, self-producing this thing for me here. And now it's just kind of built into like a full-time career where cool things are happening, but it's all been just very incremental for right. over 15 years. Yeah. And it's like, it's like telling people to kind of take that big leap. Like it's not as glitz and glam or whatever, as people might think, like there's so much more that goes into it. And like, even like the, the cliff bar, like, ex, you know, like that's a perfect example of, like you in most careers, really, I'd like to think, but specifically entertainment, having passion and that drive is going to get you so much further than so many other things. But there's also a level of being realistic with yourself and like being realistic about what you need to do to really balance these things out. And I think that's like so well said in terms of it being incremental, like I've talked to people previously on the podcast that are like, just try to focus on things week by week right now and like not be focusing on like, you know, I'm going to be headlining the biggest shows in a year from now. Cause yes, it's always good to have that goal and that drive, but you know, there's something about like the whole starving artist where some people do believe that that's the method to go. And like, mm -hmm. that is like the hustle that needs to be done. But I think there's also something to be said about like making sure there's the roof under your head, like you have whatever level of support you're able to have. And then the more that you're able to like work that muscle, you're going to finally be able to like do make more choices without there being a bigger risk. Like it's like the classic high risk, high reward, but trying to just manage it in a way that doesn't feel so, um, intimidating maybe is like the, I don't know if that's like the right kind of term to use for it, but yeah. And I, I find that very, very useful because I think it, it is really scary. Like, especially like, you know, there'll be some people that I talk to about it. I'm like, Oh, I really, I've been really wanting to get into comedy. I really like comedy and I'm new at it and I'm in my late twenties. And some people are like, Oh, that might be a little too late. Like you don't know. And other what? people, and, and I know, and other people will be like, Oh, well, like, they'll be like, well, I can only name like five comedians that are really famous. Like, are you going to, but you, do you think you'll be like the next like Natasha Leggero or like you'll be the, ne and just like naming like the three female comedians they might know. And I'm kind of like, <laughs> well, <laughs> that's not exactly how this works. I feel like, right. It's like, you, yes, it's hard to succeed. Of course. It's just like, it's hard to be like a famous actress or musician or best person. I don't know, you know, lawyer or whatever it is. It's, it's just like, yeah, of course it's going to be hard, but I think people have different versions of what success might look like to them. Mm -hmm. And it's been really refreshing talking to you about this because like as someone who's done so much and seriously, like just made so many different, like you just like made your success in such an inspiring way. And I think like a lot of people can get a little just, yeah, like that mentality people used to have, right. That you were kind of saying you used to have, where you're like, well, why am I not, why wasn't I asked to be on this? Or like, why? and it's kind of like, well then make your own, like make a way where you will be asked. Like, you know, I had someone previously on the podcast who was kind of saying like, make the thing, like whatever you want to be in, create that. So then other people can see what you're capable of. And then they'll ask you to be in it, you know? And I think that that's a big, like, it's just a big self-starter energy. Um, and I feel like, 
specifically on this episode, like there's been so much like advice and just like really helpful information and things like that. So this question might feel a little tedious, but is there one specific piece of advice that somebody has given you throughout your process that's really stuck with you or that you have for people listening just to kind of, whether it's just to keep going or even if it's bigger than comedy or bigger than entertainment that you feel like really stuck with you, that's helped you. Yeah. The, the number one piece of advice I've gotten throughout my career and in interviewing over 400 comedians on the podcast, the, the number one piece of advice has been, you have to get on stage. Like you, at the end of the day, you can write all you want off stage, but until you take it onto stage, that's how it's going to develop. And like, I've had people reach out about like, oh, I did a show two months ago and now I'm trying to perfect my set before I get back on stage next time. But you really perfect it by getting on stage. And it's, I mean, it's it's not, the comedian lifestyle is not for everyone. And listen, I've I've had my doubts, I've had my up and downs about like, man, what a, I'm out on the road, like when I'm out at shows, you know, at midnight on a Tuesday and I have to be up for work at seven type deal. Like, yeah, that's part of the comedian lifestyle, but that's part of some comedians lifestyles. Your lifestyle don't have to be that. You could do a couple shows a week or one a week and you're happy with that and whatnot. Like, but the the reality of comedy is the more you get on stage, the better you're going to get at it. You comedy is a language and you, you really learn by being on stage. That's where you really practice the language of comedy and get fluent at it. And it takes just a lot of repetition and persistence, but the more support you can have around you, and a community you can really rally to when things are low or you can celebrate when things are high, that's what's really going to help you to just kind of persevere because it is not an easy road and it, it can be a long road for some and a short road for others. I've interviewed people 30 years in the game who are like, I'm still trying to figure it out. And I've interviewed people two years in who went viral and now they're selling out clubs everywhere. You know, So there's no one way in this game. There's only your way my kids. So just have fun with it. Just have fun. Well, thank you so yeah. much. I'm, I'm so happy that you came on the podcast. I cannot, like, I'm so appreciative of you. Just like, it's so funny. I was saying this before, like your voice is just something that I always, like when I go on my walks, I'm always getting advice from Joel and I'm like, wow, I'm actually asking him real questions in real time. Um, <laughs> and then before we go, are there any upcoming shows you have or kind of anything promotional wise? I know we spoke about the, the special, but just give us like the whole rundown. So, mm -hmm. you know, we can close out. Yeah, you can see the Drybar special at drybarcomedy.com. And I'll actually, uh, I'll share a link with you that you can, that'll go directly to the special. Perfect. Um, and uh, my own, my self-produced comedy special, I called it the Trophy Husband. That is available on my website, joelbyerscomedy.com, where I also have like links to uh, like my, my calendar I'll put up there and ways you can reach out to me and ask questions directly on social media or whatnot. And uh, the podcast is on YouTube where I do a live Q&A every single Tuesday at 5 p.m. I do a live stream on there on the YouTube channel and in the Facebook group. And it's also available as a podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Wherever you listen to this one right now, search on that app, Hot Breath, and it'll be the first thing you see. Perfect. Amazing. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. And for everyone listening, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe, and I will see you all next week. Thank you.